Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Guardian. Last week, the world acknowledged International Women's Day, where this year's campaign theme was Balance for Better. The question raised was simple. How can we help forge a more gender-balanced world? Despite the progress we've made over the last few decades, gender bias still exists all around us. And the world of tech isn't exempt. Gradually, they realised that this wasn't actually just grunt work, that it was actually difficult and very involved and that you needed to be incredibly clever to do it well. And rather than thinking, oh, well, these women must be really clever, they instead thought, well, clearly that's not a women's job. Nor is science far from it. We realise that once a drug is approved and on the market, so many different patients are going to take them with much more diverse demographics than what we actually study in our clinical trial. So by excluding women of childbearing potential because we want to protect them, actually we may be doing harm to more members of the general population. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this week we invited our sister podcast, Science Weekly, and its presenter, Nicola Davis, to look at the areas where we still need to fight the gender data gap. Just hire some bloody women and speak to them. I mean, it's really as simple as that. This is Science With Everything. That was what inspired me to write. To get us started, we spoke to the prominent feminist and author Caroline Criado Perez. The woman who fought to have a woman on English banknotes. The very one. I was actually given her first book by my old editor here at The Guardian when I was feeling low. I was struggling to get something done and the book is called Do It Like a Woman. So it was really kind of super motivational and a really great gift, especially from a man, let's be honest. And she's written a new book, right? Yeah, she came into the studio along with her very lovely dog, Poppy, to talk to us about her new book, Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. So I suppose it's sort of taking the representation of women issue that makes me so angry and applying it to the world of data in that I realise that it's actually not just in culture that we have a massive gender data gap in that, you know, in films and in books and in the media, you know, 
women are not represented at 50%. Actually, it's also in medical research. It's also in occupational health research. It's also in car design. It's also in tech design. You know, it's everywhere. And it's of course, it's connected to culture because I think that the reason it happens is not that men are deliberately excluding women. It's that we picture a man when we think of a human. And so we just aren't noticing that we're forgetting to include women everywhere. So you say that in theory, we should be happy to have impartial supercomputers run our lives. But in reality, they show signs that we are still, as the French philosopher Simone de Beauvoir would call it, the second sex. Why is that? Because they're being trained on biased data sets, that is data sets that mainly include men. So for example, voice command systems are trained on uh, corpora, which is basically a voice database, which is mainly filled with male voices. And as a result, they don't recognize women's voices. Similarly, dictionaries, when they are doing the translation, again, they are trained on text corpora that are heavily biased towards male narratives. So let's say you wanted to translate Caroline the teacher from English to Spanish, even though you've got the name Caroline as a prompt there, this is probably a female teacher, the likelihood is that it'll be translated Carolina el profesor. So, you know, we really need to sort this out. And the difficulty is that because so much software is proprietary, it's very difficult to sort it out because we don't know. We don't have access to the algorithms. We don't know whether they're accounting from it. All we can do is sort of look from the outside to see what's happening. And from the outside, it's bloody frightening. Nicola, are you an emoji user? I'm not a sort of uh, regular emoji user, but, <laughs> but there are a few that I occasionally slip into a WhatsApp message. I think um, there are kind of three that I use a lot. Okay. Um, but my favourite is the little, you know, the little smiley face with the kind of like little scrunched up eyes and little pink cheeks. Oh yeah, no, it looks I, very, very happy. I use that one a lot. Um, I also use the the woman face palming oh, quite yeah. a bit when I do really daft things. That's very useful um, for a woman in a man's cool. world as well. <laughs> <laughs> and then various animal emojis as well for when I'm talking to friends about their pets. And what. <laughs> what about you? Oh, I actually use emoji quite a lot. Um, I never used to. I used to think that emoji was so uncool and I used to go out of my way to try and avoid using them. I think part of it actually might be that I have more female friends now and women use them a lot more than men, I think, which is weird because when emoji first came about, they were quite biased towards representing male figures. So like you would have like uh, a doctor and it would always be a man, like regardless of, you know, Apple, Google, whoever was making the emoji, it would always be a man who was who was the doctor. And I guess it just shows how everyone just assumes man is default. Like if you want a picture to represent something, probably go for a man. Of course, these days it's different and both genders are much better represented in emoji land, but it took a while for that to get there. All of this is slightly more jarring, considering, as Caroline writes in her book, women were the original coders. As early as 1967, the women's magazine Cosmopolitan was encouraging women to code by highlighting women in tech. But not everyone was on the same bandwagon. So, for instance, in around 1984, there was a book by Stephen Levy called Hackers, Heroes of the Computer Revolution, in which hackers, male hackers specifically, were quoted as saying, how can a hacker tolerate such an imperfect being? Is, are they talking about what 
women being imperfect beings is that what is that what that's saying i think so yeah i mean i think there's this idea that um these male hackers in order to get down to business they couldn't have any distracting women around oh yeah sort of distracting women that just reminds me of that that row about uh, women in the lab and how distracting they are it's, oh, clearly, yeah. it's absolutely absurd and obviously opinions like this betray the idea that these men couldn't even envision the idea of women being hackers themselves which again is ridiculous when you think about the key role that women have played in technology and in coding since the start of that field. Yeah, so I asked Caroline when the image of coders changed. The way it started off was that it was seen as admin, secretarial work, just grunt work, basically, and everyone knows that women are great at that. And, you know, computers were actually originally women who were doing all the maths um, for the really important men to use. Gradually, they realised that this wasn't actually just grunt work, that it was actually difficult and very involved and that you needed to be incredibly clever to do it well. And rather than thinking, oh, well, these women must be really clever, they instead thought, well, clearly that's not a women's job. And so they started to recruit men. Um, And we weren't being promoted and taught the same kind of skills that they had decided were needed. Right, but these days it is a bit better. Women make up about 29% of the workforce in big tech companies in the US. That's according to Equal Employment Opportunity Reports in 2015, which looked at averages across seven of the biggest US tech firms, so Apple, Google, Microsoft, and so on. Yeah, so it is better, but it's far from perfect. But there are various ways in which tech companies, particularly startups, are trying to defend against biases that sometimes crop up in the hiring process. So some of the studies that people have done looking at how to improve diversity in both hiring and in promoting have found that it's when hiring and promotion isn't transparent and is down to one person and there's no need to explain it to another board. So one company, you know, did exactly that. They were trying really, really hard to uh, increase their diversity as soon as they had to start justifying their decisions and knew that at the end of the year they were going to have a meeting and have to demonstrate why they'd hired all the people they'd hired and why they'd promoted all the people they promoted, they actually started promoting according to ability rather than just according to who they happened to like. So transparency is a really important one. It should be said that there are numerous studies confirming that companies benefit both socially and economically from a more diverse workforce, which includes hiring more women. As an obvious example, a company's customer base includes women, but because of their absence in companies, the products they make don't always reflect that. Caroline gives the example of the health app on the iPhone. Do you have an iPhone? Yep, I sure do. Have you ever used the health app? No. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. No, I, I, I don't feel the need to compulsively track every movement of my body. But if you had loaded up your health track, you would notice that they, all of the things that they allow you to track, there's quite a variety on there, but they've missed out some big ones, especially if you're a person with a menstrual cycle. Yes, I noticed they, they didn't have a period um, tracker, which you'd think is a, a pretty obvious. It's a very simple thing to put on a phone. It's, it's really not rocket science. We should point out that period tracking is now available on the health app on the iPhone. Apple added it after people pointed out it was missing. It's just forgetting that women exist and forgetting that women have different needs and different bodies. And the reason that that will happen is if you don't have enough women making these decisions. You don't have enough women in your team because they really wouldn't have needed very many women 
<laughs> to have remembered to include a period tracker because women track their periods you know <laughs> we've been doing that for a very long time before smartphones came along so i mean basically what it says is that the tech industry needs to massively increase female representation and in order to do that it needs to address its hiring and promoting practices and that is not just to serve consumers although it is to serve consumers it also makes business sense so what is the solution to the sex and gender data gap how do we solve these problems that you raise in the book just hire some bloody women and speak to them i mean it's really as simple as that my one policy recommendation for every single issue that I speak about in this book from city design to tech to the workplace to occupational health to medicine is just include women collect data on women collect sex disaggregated data and then you can start designing things from the workplace to cities to tech to medicine that actually work for women after the break we'll be looking at the last thing Caroline mentioned there the fallout from the gender data gap in medicine So, you know, whether it's a cellular, you know, biological reason why there's differences between men and women, or if it's more the way healthcare professionals treat men and women potentially differently may actually impact the outcomes for men and women. We'll be back after the break. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. It's time to focus. I think ultimately that ideology is fading, but it will have a sting in the tail, and we see that sometimes with these flare-ups and violence. Today in Focus is the new daily podcast from The Guardian. Join me, Anushka Astana, for the best stories from our journalists around the world. Subscribe now to Today in Focus from The Guardian. Welcome back to Science With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. And I'm Nicola Davis. Before the break, we were speaking to Caroline Criado Perez about the various ways that big tech have overlooked the needs of women. Next, we're turning to medicine, where the complications of excluding women can be serious. My name is Natalie DiPietro-Mager, and I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice at Ohio Northern University College of Pharmacy, It's located in Ada, Ohio. So Natalie, how Natalie recently wrote a paper documenting women's involvement in clinical trials, revealing that for decades, drugs available to women 
were rarely tested on them. Instead, they were tested on men. Well, historically, women have been underrepresented in clinical trial research. And most of that had to do with the thought that women of childbearing potential should be protected as vulnerable populations in case if they were to become pregnant while receiving some investigational drug therapies, there could be unintended and potentially very serious negative consequences to their fetus or developing baby. So due to the thalidomide tragedy that had occurred in the 60s, there was consensus that maybe women should not be included in the very early stages of clinical research, which we call our phase one and phase two clinical trials. And often not much is known about the molecule when it's first being given to a human. So the thought was, as in the US at least, the Food and Drug Administration published guidance for industry that stated that women of childbearing potential should not be included in the very earliest phases of clinical research until we had more data around these new drugs that were being studied. There was an unintended consequence, however, where many pharmaceutical companies did not include women in clinical trials in those later phases of research as well. So it really became an issue where women were systematically underrepresented in these clinical trials. And what about um, another thing which is often brought up, which is that women are not included because, you know, they have menstrual cycles if they're not pregnant and they're in that age bracket, and that that can create kind of noisy data. Was that also a consideration in leaving women out? Absolutely it was. And, you know, at the time that many of these studies were, you know, being designed, there wasn't a strong understanding of some of the biological differences between men and women at the cellular level. And it was assumed that a male patient in a clinical trial, any data that were observed could be translated to a woman. And there was really no need to study men and women independently. And exactly for what you're saying, women were always regarded more as a more complicated patient to enroll in a clinical trial. For example, fluctuating hormone levels or um, whether they're premenopausal or postmenopausal could all potentially be confounding factors in what was trying to be studied. So because it was believed that there would be no difference between men and women, it was thought that by studying men, which should be a little bit more straightforward and less expensive, uh, should serve the purpose well and that that data would also uh, be relevant for women. This struck me as paradoxical. Why? Well, they're saying that men and women are the same biologically, so it shouldn't make a difference in terms of drug safety or efficacy. But then they're excluding women because they're biologically different, because women can be pregnant and because their hormones fluctuate differently. So they're basically trying to have their cake and eat it. Something like that. But thankfully, the lack of women in clinical trials did begin to change. In the 1990s, the Food and Drug Administration in the US led a discussion on how we need to better understand the response of women to pharmaceutical agents and include them in clinical trials. But even 10 years later, things still weren't optimal. There was a report that was published by the General Accounting Office in 2001 that had looked at the 10 drugs that had been most recently withdrawn from the market in the United States. And it was found that for eight of those drugs, women were disproportionately affected by the adverse event. Now, for four of those drugs, more women took the drug. It was a drug that, you know, a weight loss drug, for example, that more women than men took. So you might suspect that more women would have adverse events. But for four of the other drugs, equal numbers of men and women took the drug. So it pointed to the fact that there were physiological differences between men and women that led to women experiencing more of these adverse events. And really, that's where 
kind of this consensus was reached that we realized that once a drug is approved and on the market, so many different patients are going to take them with much more diverse demographics than what we actually study in our clinical trial. So by excluding women of childbearing potential because we want to protect them or protect a, a potential pregnancy, actually we may be doing harm to more members of the general population because once that drug is approved and on the market, many more women and potentially pregnant women will be taking that drug and there's not a lot of information from the clinical trial to know how they may be affected or if they may be affected differently than what we saw in the clinical research. Do we know why that might be? Why is it that sometimes women suffer different symptoms? For example, with cardiac arrest, that's something that's been in the news a lot about uh, women not often being diagnosed when they have a heart attack. And then why they react to drugs differently? How, what's our understanding on these issues? Well, it's a great question, and it's very broad and complex, but you know, in its simplest form, there's differences between men and women at every level from the cellular and molecular level. That's a product of different DNA expression between men and women, you know, having two X chromosomes or having an XY chromosome. You know, really it's this whole concept of sex-based biology that there are fundamental differences that we need to better understand. So for example, women in heart disease, there's many reasons why women may have differential signs and symptoms of heart disease or even differential outcomes once diagnosed with heart disease. Some of them have to do with the physiology of the female body and differences in how plaque, for example, cholesterol um, deposits in arteries of women versus men and what that looks like, all the way to beyond the cellular level, the gender role that women are treated less aggressively for heart disease than men are. So, you know, whether it's a cellular, you know, biological reason why there's differences between men and women, or if it's more the way healthcare professionals treat men and women potentially differently, whether intentionally or non-intentionally, you know, implicit bias may actually impact the outcomes for men and women. Wow, so this goes way beyond just drugs then. Yeah, this is something that that does come up uh, again and again, and something that's been written about on the science desk is the way that women are diagnosed or treated with conditions like heart attack. It's something which obviously needs further investigation. People shouldn't be missing out on good care because they're a woman. But things are looking up. Overall, the general consensus is that more women are being included in clinical trials. So we are still, we, we are seeing increased numbers of women enrolled in clinical trials. But some of the challenges still remain that for certain disease states or certain clinical trials that are being performed, we're not seeing enough women enrolled that it is proportional to the number of women who would be taking the drug once the drug is approved and on the market. And we're still seeing a lot of deficiencies around recruiting diverse women into clinical trials. So while we're seeing more women, there's still a large gap that remains in making sure we have racial and ethnic minorities represented among women in our clinical trials. One thing I wanted to ask is around trans men and women, because we don't hear much about them being included in clinical trials, and yet they also are affected by many health conditions. That's a great question, and I don't know that there have been any systematic reviews looking at the inclusion of trans patients in clinical trials. Historically, the emphasis has been on women you know, versus men, but really not looking beyond that kind of binary definition. And I think that's an area ripe for research. I, I don't think anybody has really fully looked at that yet. 
And there was recent report which said that a lot of the time that data on, on women taking part in trials isn't actually released or, or that it's not analysed. So you might have men and women, but it's all lumped in together for the analysis. Presumably that completely defeats the point or at least semi-defeats the point of including women in the first place. It does. And again, it might have been a fact that not enough women were enrolled, that there wouldn't be power or that statistical ability to look for any differences. So, uh, you know, sometimes it may be a disregard of, of, of analyzing available data. Sometimes it may be the fact that they're limited in the types of analyses that can be done because there are not enough women. So I think at the heart of it, trying to get more women involved and more diverse women involved, and not only racial ethnic diversity, but rural women, for example, in the United States have a difficult time being able to participate in clinical trials because they're, they tend to be done in urban areas and transportation and things are a challenge. So, you know, women of socioeconomic status, women of varying ge- geographies, as well as diverse race, ethnicities and ages really need to be involved in, in greater numbers than they are today. So it sounds like it's very similar to what Caroline is saying. We simply need to include women more. Yeah, exactly. In all phases of clinical trials and in the analysis of the data and then in tech. All areas, including things like development. Yeah, on a personal level, one of the things that I found really interesting in Caroline's book and that we actually talked about um, was about virtual reality, which is something I have to deal with quite a lot in my job writing about games and talking about them on the television. And apparently the reason that I get motion sick in VR might well be because I'm a woman, because women have more of a tendency to get motion sickness than men do, but no one's really looked at it, Caroline says. They've just kind of taken that for granted and not really looked at the reasons why and not worked on ways to get around that. What frustrates me is that by overlooking these very simple things, these kinds of companies end up exacerbating differences between men and women. We are very, very similar, but because you have these lack of interest in what women need, it blows up these big differences. Yeah, it makes us seem way more different than we actually are. Yeah. Many thanks to both our experts this week. Caroline Criado Perez and Natalie Di Pietro Mega. And also to Nicola Davis. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on the show. It's been fantastic. <laughs> if you have any comments, thoughts, suggestions about the podcast, then send us an email. Our address is chipspodcast at theguardian.com. I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this is Science with Everything. Until next time, goodbye. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.